Hi, and welcome to season one of the Mental Fitness Podcast with me, Anthony Taylor. This is the podcast where we look at what it takes to be mentally fit. That intersection between mental toughness, emotional intelligence, and good mental health. We interview some of the best people from the sporting, business, and psychological worlds to bring you the stories and suggestions on how to build your mental fitness. Here's a snapshot of what we've got in store for you this week. I felt like I didn't deserve to win anything. I wasn't worthy of it because of my background. So I didn't I didn't embrace the idea of actually winning anything. And if I was doing really well, I would almost sabotage the rally so that I didn't do so well. And I didn't know I was doing that until I started talking to him. So I was driving with my foot on the metaphorical brake He took my foot off the brake. He never saw my car. He never saw me in a racing suit. He just talked to me. He coached me. And that's what, when I fell in love with the process of coaching. So if you like what you hear over the rest of this episode, then please join the conversation with me on Instagram at anttaylor72 or on LinkedIn where you can find me under Anthony Taylor Mental Fitness and please subscribe. It takes just a minute, but it's going to help the podcast reach more people. Okay, let's crack on with the show. So my guest today is Penny Mallory, a former British rally championship driver. She became the National Ladies Rally Champion in 1993. Prior to that, she was a graphic designer and a sound engineer. She's also been a precision stunt driver for two of the Renault Clear commercials. She's also had an extensive career as a TV presenter, presenting Channel 4's Driven alongside uh, Jason Plato and uh, Channel 4's World Rally Championship program as well. In addition, she has published two books and she is now a keynote speaker and performance coach around the field of mental toughness. So welcome, Penny. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today. It's an absolute pleasure. It's lovely to see you. Likewise. So Penny, I'm going to start off with the same question I ask all the guests on this first season, which is what is mental toughness to you? How do you define it? So the academics definition of mental toughness is the ability to manage the stress, the pressure, the chaos, the change of life. The more we're able to manage stress and pressure, the more likely we are to enjoy life. So some people really just fall to bits under pressure and stress and their lives tend to be really hard to manage. And we all get stressed and we all get anxious, of course, we just, some of us manage it better than others. So the more you can develop your mental toughness, the more you're able to just sort of live life more enjoyably. In theory, you're able then to be more successful because nothing gets to you like it might do to other people. So. I mean, I can expand on that as we talk, but that's the the general premise of mental toughness is just being able to to cope with setbacks and difficulties. And you and I work with the the four C's model of mental toughness, which we'll we'll, we'll talk about as we go through this. Um, you know, you've had a a quite amazing life. When I just look at some of the stuff that you've done, you you were um, runaway. You've been homeless on the streets of London for a few years. You've gone from that to being a graphic designer and a sound engineer, and then a champion rally driver, the only woman to drive a world rally car for Ford, in fact, the only female rally driver for Ford, TV presenter, boxer, two-time author. When did you start to understand or be aware of this concept of, of mental toughness? Well, I never labelled it mental toughness. I always knew I was a bit of a fighter, I knew that I was resilient, 
but it's literally in the last few years that I've come across it as a concept, as a construct. But I knew that I could manage more than most people. I knew that I was able to cope with more than most people. And that, that's all been happening over years without me realizing it. I just never put a label on it. So it's been a lifetime's work um, and I'm still absolutely not there. But what I have discovered, which is wonderful, is that it is a development process and I can do it, you can do it, and absolutely everyone else can do it. So wherever you are today is not where you're going to be if you're open to, to doing making some changes. So that's the exciting thing for me is that you're never it's stuck in one place. Mm. And we know from, from mental toughness that you know a lot of the various interventions we can do to build that. When you take yourself back to the time that you were out on the streets of London, how much did visualizing you said you wanted to be a rally driver from an early age how much did that visualizing yourself sustain you at that period and were there other things that you now look back on that you kind of did perhaps unconsciously so I I need to explain that I had this dream to be a rally driver since I was about six I, I watched a sports show which I, I imagined was grandstand if you remember in those yes, days yes I do Dickie Davis and I saw what would have been the RAC rally on tv and all these cars whizzing around, chucking up gravel and stuff. And I just thought, oh, my God, this is so exciting. One day I'm going to be a rally driver. And that's it. I just parked that thought in my head. I kept thinking about it as I lived my life. But I never thought it was a possibility. Um, when I was homeless, and thank goodness I only spent a very short time on the streets, but um, I was in hostels for two or three years. And so for something, I have to say rallying was not on the front of my mind, where my next meal came from was on the front of my mind. So it definitely popped into my head a lot as a fantasy. And absolutely, that's all it was. There was no way on earth I was going to be a rally driver. It was impossible because surviving and just getting by was my priority. But because this thought kept popping into my head, when I hit rock bottom which you know I always say is a great great thing to do because you can bounce back from that awful point I just thought you know before I do something really stupid check out of this ridiculous game I'm playing I'm gonna have to go to rally school so I, I lied and borrowed some money yeah I borrowed an awful lot of money um went to the rally school and that changed everything that's when I really got focused thinking I don't care what's going on in my life. I'm going to make this happen because this is the first time I've ever felt excited in my whole life. This is the first time I feel at home, at comfortable in an environment that feels like it suits me. So I, 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 this fire in my belly grew all out. Well, I was going to say almost out of control. It was out of control, which was great for me because I had something then to focus on, which I hadn't mm. previously. I was just sort of, bumming around a bit aimlessly that that rock bottom thing is deeply helpful or it was for me because it sort of catapulted me into a laser focus of what I wanted to do but it was most unexpected I didn't expect to feel that way and nor did I expect that it was going to start the most incredible journey of hard work because rally being a rally driver is 90% finding the money to 10% do the driving. So it's really, it's a marketing exercise before it is a sporting exercise, or at least was for me. So I had to, to raise a lot of money because I didn't have any. And that's when the hard work started, yeah. You know, when you went to rally school, was that just a, one of these one day ones that people can go on? It was just a one day. And do you know, I can't even remember if it was a half day or a full day. 
um I think it was a full day and you you know everyone can do it you can do it you just book a day on a rally school and that's it you have a fun day out and you go home and get on with your life well didn't quite work that way for me I wasn't very good by the way I was going to say, were you, were you talented from the off? Did you, did you instruct? Not at all. No, I was making all the classic mistakes that I, you know, I now know, because I hadn't had much driving experience at all. I mean, I'd, I'd managed to to pass my tests and stuff, but it was my first time ever, you know, breaking traction, skidding a car, sliding a car, and handbrake turns. Oh my god, it was just, just. I can remember it to this day. Um, what it felt like, and I know exactly where it was because weirdly, I live not far from there now. But yeah, it was meant to be just a <laughs> a one day experience to tick a box, and it turned into twelve years of amazing driving. Wow, fantastic! And when you were, you know, you obviously progressed, uh, I guess, through the various um, levels of rallying, starting out quite small, I'd imagine, was it club rallies, those kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. Single venues on airfields. There was lots of just very small events, and then I I did the Welsh Championship, the Welsh. Um, Clubman's Championship and then the National Champion, Welsh National and then the British National and then World Rally events, yeah. When you got to that kind of World Rally event stage, was there any kind of psychological help there in terms of working with sports psychologists or any kind of mental game stuff or was it literally just you do what you do? Yeah, there, there was absolutely none and it would have been enormously helpful had there been because I would have, I was, I would have taken on board anything that would have made me more competitive but the best thing that ever happened to me was I just met a guy who was a coach and he said what do you do and I said I'm driver and he said the conversation went along the lines of you know if you're interested in me um just talking to you you we might be able to help your performance and I was like yeah 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 yeah. when when can I see you I spent a few hours with this guy my driving transformed he sort of unpicked my brain I was driving with my foot on the brake it I discovered he released this because uh, I, I felt like I didn't deserve to win anything. I wasn't worthy of it because of my background. So I didn't I didn't embrace the idea of actually winning anything. And if I was doing really well, I would almost sabotage the rally so that I didn't do so well. And I didn't know I was doing that until I started talking to him. So I was driving with my foot on the metaphorical brake he took my foot off the brake. He never saw my car. He never saw me in a racing suit. He just talked to me. He coached me. And that's what, when I fell in love with the process of coaching, I thought, crikey, if this guy can sit and talk to me and I get in a car and drive quite differently, this is phenomenal. <laughs> I want to help people to do this, which is, of course, what you and I do now, which is so exciting. But he changed everything for me. It's psychologically and it's I know the same teams that I was with will now have that kind of psychological support because as you know well it sort of means everything if you haven't got your head sorted you're never going to be a winner really it's it's fundamental and really weird to look back and think that was nothing of that kind going on but you know, I found my own help, I suppose. And yeah, it was enormously valuable. And we do, we know that, don't we, with the work that we've done and the research that, that Doug and Peter Clough and the others have done into mental toughness that can account for about as much as 25% difference in performance between people, can't it? Yeah, and I would say it accounted for a great deal more than that in me. I would say it was sort of nearly everything because I was, 
I'd, I'd grown up with a very poor opinion of myself, um, emotionally retarded, you know, I, I, I was useless. I was crappy at school. I didn't have many friends. I found it hard to build a relationship because just because of where I'd come from. So when I entered a sporting world, it was easy to see a transformation. So for, for most people, it might be 20, 25% in, in difference in performance. For me, it was way, way bigger than that. It, it was everything. So the more resilient and confident and all, all of those aspects of mental toughness, the more I developed those, um, the more my performance grew. And, and it, I think the curve, if you'd put my, me on a curve, it would have been a very sharp increase in performance. It was quite rapid because, well, because of so many things that the stars aligned, you know, meeting the coach, getting the right car, the right sponsor, the right team, all of those. And plus I was so committed so obsessed nothing else mattered in my life apart from getting in a car next weekend raising the money to go next weekend to get more money to do the next weekend to get that jump that I was completely obsessed everything else fell to the wayside I didn't care about anything else so my focus was complete and I think that that all that stuff helped my performance you must have experienced setbacks during that period when, when you were rallying and things, how did you, what helped you through those setbacks? It was all setbacks. Anthony, you cannot get into motorsport and have a good easy time. It is just one setback after another. They are, they come thick and fast. The only thing in hindsight that kept me going was that I wanted it so badly. I wanted to succeed so badly that whatever setback came at me, I was like, yeah, whatever, I'll deal with it, I'll deal with it. I was sort of practicing mental toughness without even realizing it. There was nothing going to stand in my way. And it all was because of my why, and I know it's a really overused expression, but the reason I was doing all of this was to get my father's attention. Again, I didn't work this out for years. But it, I was so desperate for my father's attention because I hadn't seen him for 20 years. I, want, I thought if I can achieve this, I'll come to his notice on, on TV or in the newspaper or something. And so that was the fuel keeping me going. And I was so desperate for that that the setbacks didn't bother me. They didn't get, they didn't get in my way because I was so driven by the outcome, by, by getting there. That's quite a familiar story, isn't it? I've heard a number of other athletes, sports people, people, people yeah. have achieved great things who have, you know, when it's from a, perhaps a difficult childhood or wanting some kind of recognition or some attention from someone, that's quite a, a thing. But I think you, you really, you've hit on a really important part there. It's that why, you know, Nietzsche talked about it, didn't he? A person has a why can put up with almost any how. And for me, you know, we talk about this model of mental toughness, the four C's. And I've been wondering around this for a while, whether that why and the values bit almost has a place sat in the middle of it. I don't know what your thoughts are around that. I absolutely agree with you. It's, it's sort of the invisible foundation to that, that construct of mental toughness, because I think it's, it's relatively straightforward to build mental toughness if you know what you're committed to. You know, I can face any challenge and turn it into an opportunity if my, if my heart is in it if my belly is burning it becomes easier if I don't really care about what it is I'm doing then I'm unlikely to build my resilience and build my confidence because I don't care enough when something matters that much it sort of underlies your performance in mental physical everything so you're absolutely right there's something 
about the starting process being this why, the reason, the mission, call it what you will, it doesn't matter what name you put on it, but the thing that drives you that, yeah, is fundamental to managing stress and pressure because it doesn't, it's just easier to manage when you're driven by a thing that you're desperately seeking. How do you think, therefore, people listen to this podcast, what can they do to start to find their their why a bit more? It sounds like very Simon Sinek, doesn't it? But he's just repackaged that for the modern day world. Um, what do you think people can do to find that that why? Well, Doug always talks about self-awareness being a really important thing. And I think finding your why, and I know it's all Simon Sinek's terminology and I, I just can't find a better way of saying it. But if you can start to unpick yourself, what makes you tick, what you're up for, what you're into, what it's all about, the really big picture and being really self-aware of you, what you're like to be around, what you stand for, what, what your point is, what's the point? When you can nail that, your mental toughness is an easier thing to address and your resilience sort of just appears because you know why it is you're doing what you're doing. You'll do the same thing. I work with people who sort of move through life slightly aimlessly without much focus or direction and they wonder why they haven't achieved a great deal. And I don't think it's a coincidence that people who don't achieve a great deal aren't particularly driven by anything particular. So, you know, you look at any great leader in whatever field, whether it's sport or politics or business or anything, anyone that has achieved anything great is driven by something um, fundamental. And that's why they are successful, but that's also why they're resilient and that's why they're confident and that's why they're resourceful and courageous. All those things fall into place quite easily when you know what it is you're trying to do. So your advice would be to people is to spend some time really thinking about that, maybe work with a coach or somebody to help go through that process a bit more formally. Yes, I would, I would recommend it. And I think working with a coach is a brilliant way because when you do your own thinking on your own, you get caught in the same loops with the same, same thought processes. You need somebody to break that, your thought processes, challenge your assumptions, ask you some really difficult questions dig a bit deeper you're unlikely to do that to yourself so I think either a trusted friend or colleague but ideally a professional coach because you know you and I have developed the skills to get under the issues and into under people's skin so I think it's deeply deeply helpful for people if they can work with somebody to unpick their reason for existing and for some people you know it's really simple I, I can't help referring to NHS nurses who just are nice caring people who signed up to, to, to be nurses and look what they're doing now and the resilience and the, the courageousness, courage of these people. They're probably some of the most mentally tough people we have. And two years ago, you wouldn't have said, or a year ago, you wouldn't have said nurses are probably really mentally tough. They must be. Um, and that's why, you know, I'm always keen to say mental toughness. Some people don't like the expression mental toughness. It's not aggressive. It's not macho. Really quiet people can be incredibly strong and mentally tough. So glad you said that because there is that so much misunderstanding around the term. There is so much sort of, you know, mindset. It's all biceps and balls, isn't it, around that concept of mental toughness. And it isn't. It's not about that at all. And that self-awareness that you talked about. 
It's absolutely right. And we also, you know, we talk about mental sensitivity, don't we, rather than mental weakness. And I think it's important to make the point that, you know, mentally sensitive people can achieve great things too, can't they? It's just that they might feel, as we say, sort of every bump in the road, but it doesn't mean that they can't achieve great things. Well, I, I bang on about mental toughness every day of my life, as you probably do, but I do try and make it clear to anyone that I'm talking to that just like with anything else in life, if everyone was mentally tough, it would be a nightmare. If you worked in an organisation where everyone's super mentally tough, it'd be a nightmare. You need a mix of people who are mentally sensitive, who are wear their hearts on their sleeves, they're easy to be around, they're caring and empathetic and creative. You have to have those people in the mix. They are lovely to have around and they have a great deal to offer. I can't imagine anything more difficult or hideous than working in an organization where everyone is super focused and super confident just be horrendous. You need a good mix as you do with every other type of diversity. Um, you need it with mental toughness as well. I love mentally sensitive people. Sometimes I wish I was more mentally sensitive. Um, I might be nicer to be around, but yeah, we, we need them. We, we need them definitely. What do you think, therefore, you know, I'm assuming that a lot of people listening to this will be managers of some kind, whether they're first-line managers starting out, whether they've got you know, larger teams. What do you think the importance of mental toughness is to managers in terms of developing good team performance? What can they learn from learning more about this, this concept? Well, I think if the organisation is tasked with a particular goal, Maybe it's um, new clients, new customers, expanding the business, doubling the size of the business or revenue or profitability, whatever the target is. One, if everyone's on board for that, everyone's going to have a different role to play in delivering it. And if, if every, I, you, you, you will have done this, but I've, I've worked with organizations and teams and I've assessed the mental toughness of that team to say they all say they can deliver this really ambitious target, but actually can they? So everyone is individually has taken the assessment and you've put them together as a group assessment. You go, well, on paper, this says that they, they don't have the confidence to do it. They're saying they have, but actually underlying it, they don't feel confident they can deliver this. Well, how useful would that be for a manager or a leader to see that I've given everyone this task and actually the reality is they're unlikely to deliver it. Would that not be useful to know at the start of the process rather than when it's all too late? So incredibly important to know that your team are capable that they're up for it that they're they're not threatened by it that they're not falling to bits because of it everyone's targets you know certainly people i'm talking to they're under incredible stress um they're managing insane targets and ridiculous deadlines and they're still doing it but they're falling to bits at the same time well that's not deeply helpful to the business it's not deeply helpful to them so it would be would it not incredibly insightful for a manager to understand whether or not the people that they are leading are, are capable and up for it. It's got, it's got to be worth knowing. And, and if they're not, then let's work with them to get them there. Definitely. We talked about mental toughness, just conscious that actually we haven't talked about the four C's model. Do you fancy giving us a quick oversight of, of the four C's and what they are? If, if you break mental toughness down into four areas, then there's control. How much do you feel in control of your life? The more you feel in control, and I always use the driving analogy, you know, if you've got the steering wheel in your hands and the pedals under your feet, you can choose the destination, the pace, the direction, you're in control. 
And some people feel like they're in the passenger seat of life where they are just knocked about by what life throws at them, more of a sort of victim stance. So the more in control you feel of your life, the more likely you are to enjoy life because you're going to feel less stressed if you feel like you have more control. And of course, there's emotional control as well, which is how do you manage your emotions yourself and the, also the emotions of other people? That, that has a massive impact on how you manage stress and pressure. So there's control and then there's commitment. Commitment is setting tasks and completing them. Some people are really motivated by goals. I am. I get an enormous pleasure from completing a goal. Some people are demotivated by goals, but maybe nobody knows that. Some people think, and I can't set a goal because if I don't get there, I'm going to look like a fraud or a cheat or useless. So I don't want goals, thank you very much. Just, you know, I'll just do the little bits every day. So unpicking that would be useful. You know, actually, is this massive goal firing your belly or the opposite? Um, so there's so that's control and commitment. And then there's challenge, seeing challenges as uh, opportunities rather than threats. So the last year has been the classic, has it not, challenge to everybody. And a lot of people have turned COVID-19 to their benefit, working for them. They've flipped to their businesses. They've flipped everything, they, their, their approach to everything, whether it's customers, suppliers, whatever. They've made this situation work for them. And that's mental toughness. Seeing an opportunity in everything, in every setback and every challenge. The more we can do that, more likely we are to, to enjoy life and thrive and be successful. And then lastly, there's confidence. So this to me is a really important one because most people want more confidence. <laughs> Given the choice, they would, they would say, yes, please, I'll have some more. The real true confidence in your ability, that deep knowledge that you're capable, that you're able, has certainly helped me. I really believe I could do pretty much anything if I wanted to. I actually believe that, which might sound arrogant, but it's got me far enough in life. I really do believe in my ability. I also completely recognize when I'm not capable. But with confidence and a real genuine deep inner belief you can, then you can approach most things more relaxed because you're, you're not threatened by it all going wrong. So developing confidence, which of course you can't see, you can't touch, you can't hold it, you can't photograph it, but you can sense it and you can feel it in yourself and others is massively important. And if people get a sense of confidence from you, they'll trust you. And that's the basis of having any relationship. So confidence is also about interpersonal confidence. So some people might really believe they know what they're talking about, but too scared to speak up in front of others. Well, that's a terrible waste, isn't it, of somebody's knowledge. So that's a really quick run through of the four C's for me, each of which are deeply important, completely intertwined. They change every day of the week, every minute of the day. They twist and turn on us depending on what's happening in our lives. But why I love the four C's model is because it's so easy to break down and understand and I've never talked to anyone through this and they go, well, I don't really get that or it doesn't seem relevant to me. Everyone goes, oh my God, yes, of course. These four elements are, are deeply important. And of course, you know, and I know they can all be developed. What do you think from your experience of either yourself or working with other people, what are some of the downsides to high levels of mental toughness without that self-awareness that you've talked about? I've just done a, an assessment, Anthony, on a, somebody who runs a, it's quite a small team. 
he came out as a nine out of 10. He had a couple of 10 out of 10s. And I don't know about you, but my eyebrows always raise when I see this. It worries me yes. slightly. It turned out, I spoke to all of his team and they were terrified of him. They never, ever speak up in a meeting because he's, he's scary. He intimidates them. That's really unhelpful to that organization. All these amazing people in the team are not saying what they're thinking or what they've seen or what they've experienced or what the experience they can bring. They just keep quiet because this guy is so focused. He doesn't listen to anyone. Really, really nice guy, super intelligent. And I talked to him about it. I said, is this, has this ever been said to you before that you're maybe a bit intimidating? I mean, yeah, all my life people have told me that. I said, do you think it's been standing in your way? He went, yeah, probably. I just don't know what to do about it, but I am aware of it. Um, so he did have a, a level of self-awareness. He just didn't quite know what to do with it. So, you know, I worked with him on that basis. It was really interesting. That's the sort of thing that I come across more often than not. I don't know about you, but when somebody is so mentally tough, and I would have been in this category some years ago as well, where I didn't really want to listen to anybody. I just was on my mission. Thank you very much. You can all shush, go away. I don't want to know. Maybe if I'd opened my horizons and the perspective a little further, I might have got further than where I did. I don't know. But that's the danger, I think, one of the dangers of being too mentally tough. Yeah, definitely. I think I've had a very similar experience as well, coaching somebody. Similar thing, director in an organisation, new person, came in. Within six months, the wheels are coming off the bus because of his behaviours, because he was too mentally tough without that self-awareness. The team are pushing back. The complaints are going up. Sickness absence is going up. And it was only when we started to work with him and bring some awareness to it and he started to change behaviours, things started to improve. What do you think, in terms of working with the teams, what do you think is one of the single biggest things that teams can start to do then to improve their mental toughness as a team? It's all going to be down to communication, which is such a dull answer. But when you've got a competitive team, um, they might be too competitive between themselves rather than competitive as a, as a group. So just trying to understand what's really going on, the real dynamics, because the, you can have some really big personalities and egos where if we're not talking here as a group about group results, group goals, we're actually talking about individual performance, then, you know, that's really worth knowing and understanding. So I think that's a really important starting point is are we all genuinely on the same page? Are we in this together? Do we trust one another? Which I know it's an easy word to band about, but actually my experience, it's quite hard to achieve a, a genuine level of trust. So people tend to operate. And I, I always do, do a driving analogy here, a rallying one. If I don't trust what my co-driver is telling me, I'm going to back off the throttle a bit. I can't possibly win if I'm in any doubt of her instructions of where the road goes. It's the same in a business. If there is a little bit of doubt between people, they're never going to perform as well as if there is a real deep trust. So that takes some really big people to admit that there's some work to do there. And I think that's a great starting place, just, just unpicking the relationships between people, what, what they're in it for. Again, you come back to the why, you know, are we really, are you in it for you? Are you in it for us, the, the organization, the goal? What, what is really firing you up here? What's driving you? And those are difficult conversations for people to have honestly 
but actually quite game-changing if people are bold enough to do it. Mm. And again, that's the value of, of working with someone like yourself or myself or others, isn't it, in terms of helping facilitate those conversations? Exactly. I have interest, who was your, who was your co-driver when you were doing those amazing things in the, in the World Rally Car? And a couple of co-drivers, but the one that was stuck around for the longest was a lady called Sue Me, who worked for a solicitor, weirdly. Sue Me. I <laughs> know, oh, that really was her name. Uh, she's changed her name now. She's got married. But she was phenomenal. Her organisational skills. So she was not interested in driving. Because really, if you're a co-driver, you don't want to be thinking, I could have done it better. I want to be in that seat. She just wanted to co-drive. She loved maps. And now I've fallen in love with maps. Her attention to detail was second to none. It's a bit, I think it's a bit like maths. You know, when when you add up all the numbers and that you get the right number, it's very satisfying. She was a bit like that. When she got all the, you know, the amount of petrol required in the tank, the amount of miles we were going to do, she got all the coordinates bang on and the pace notes were spot on everything she did and there's a huge amount of work to do as a co-driver she got so much pleasure out of it for getting it right then I was the only one that was going to cock it up which I did a lot by the way so she was a phenomenal co-driver and in fact she was offered a professional full-time role as a co-driver and weirdly she turned it down and I I was quite glad for that but I never really understood it I think she was scared that because most most People in motorsport have a, a, a proper job as well as a driving job. Um, I think she was scared that she was putting all her eggs in one basket and maybe that it was a bit too exciting for her and she probably felt not worthy, but she was completely worthy. She was phenomenal, brilliant, brilliant co-driver. And how did you, you as a team, because you are a team absolutely in that car, like you said, you've got to put the trust in each other, you and the, and the co-driver's pace notes and all the calculations and the co-driver and your ability to not bury yourselves in a tree. So how did you develop that trust together? Just like you do with any relationship, it takes time and you can demonstrate certain qualities that say, I don't know the answer to this, but I'm going to guess that you've done this for longer than me. I'm going to trust you. You just, it takes time to build trust. It's not something that just appears out of nowhere. But we were both in it for the long haul. And she drove with me for nearly 10 years, I think. And that's a long time to have a relationship with anybody. And bear in mind, all my I've been married loads of times. So I'm not very good at that. My relationship with her lasted longer than any <laughs> marriage I've ever managed to sustain. <laughs> so, it, yes, it's just, it's a really dull answer, I'm afraid. It's just that it takes time. It takes evidence. She did stuff which built my trust in her. I hope I did the same for her. We got to the point where we didn't need to speak. We just knew what each other was thinking. She knew how I was feeling without me having to say anything. You just read each other. And it's such a beautiful, poetic, wonderful thing when it happens that you just, you know each other inside and out. You don't need to speak. Well, would you describe your relationship then that you were perhaps the more uh, outgoing, gregarious one, and she was the quieter one, but would you say she was just as mentally tough as you? I would, actually. I would say we had very different personalities. I was probably more outgoing, although I'm actually quite a shy person, strangely, but I was certainly more outgoing than she was. On the face of it, she was a quieter person, but very mentally tough. The amount of stress and pressure you're under as a co-driver is immense, and she never once lost it. She never once 
displayed sort of difficult behavior. She was able to process everything very logically and thoroughly and that, that it didn't impact on my emotional state. So as a driver, we're probably a little bit more out of control of our emotions. She was deeply in control of her emotions and that did rub off on me because the calmer she stayed, the, the more it calmed me down. So yeah, she, I would say she's very mentally tough lady. Um, uh, yeah, probably I was less so thinking about it. Yeah, because she was much more in control than I was. And that's that's great, isn't it? That's a great story because it does allude to the fact that you know mental toughness isn't about showmanship or or that kind of um, you know the outward things we might see. Actually, you can be very very quiet and incredibly mentally tough. Yeah, absolutely right. And I'm I'm very keen for people to understand. I mean, I like the expression mental toughness because that's very me. But I do understand why people say I don't really like you know I do a lot of keynotes and speeches and stuff and. I'm not really sure about mental tough. I said, well, call it whatever you like. I, I don't care. It's just that that expression appeals to me, but you could call it whatever you want, but it's about being able to cope and manage and perform under stress and pressure. You don't have to be loud and shouty to do that. You can be quiet and super resilient. So what would you say, what would be your one tip to people listening to this to do to develop their levels of mental toughness? I would say anything that gives you a prolonged experience of something uncomfortable will help to build resilience straight away. So that might be taking cold showers. It might be doing the plank, you know, just holding that plank position. It might be putting your hand in a bucket of ice water. It might anything that's deeply uncomfortable that you can persist with will actually develop your mental toughness you won't even realize it's happening but when you do start to think about what you've done and it might be running a marathon a week or it could be anything because everybody's at different levels with stuff anything that you you experience some discomfort but do it anyway I think is really helpful because you you one you go wow I did that and I didn't die nothing awful happened and now I know I'm a little bit more capable than I thought I was before. So you just start pushing that boundary of your ability and what you're prepared to endure. And that's great for building mental toughness. So, yeah, I think it's about, I really hate using overused expressions, but being comfortable, getting uncomfortable, do something you don't want to do, just do it. However much you don't want to do it. If you don't want to get up when it's a snowy morning, like it is today, because it's too cold, just do it anyway. You're never going to regret it. You know, go for that three mile run in the snow, um, even if you don't want to. Just do something you don't fancy doing. I do the cold shower thing every morning. I feel enough. I moved into a new house recently, and the water is frigid. It takes me back to my boarding school days, but it's brilliant. I know that having done that, I can kind of take on anything that comes up. And it doesn't kill you. And actually. Once the two minutes is over, two minutes later, you feel bloody amazing. Yes. And obviously it's not a pleasure. It doesn't feel like a pleasurable thing to do. And it's like zero appealing to most people. But anyone I know that's done it, and a lot of people, because I challenge people to do this a lot, people email saying, I've, I've done it. I can't believe I've done it. I feel absolutely fantastic. I've never, ever had an email from anyone that says, well, that was a waste of time. I hated it. And I'm really cross with you. Nobody's ever said that. Well, I suppose they might have thought that and just not emailed me to tell me that. But maybe on the whole, on the whole, people find a benefit 
in that, but it doesn't have to be the culture. I think it could be anything. Mm, no, absolutely. Um, I know you've written a couple of books, haven't you? World-class thinking, world-class behavior and take control of your life. Um, which one of those, I'm sure they're both well worth a read. Which one would you recommend the most and what might people take from it? I would say take control of your life is a very short read, but it does have in the back a free CD, um, which I still to this day love. It's, um, the sort of thing you should never ever put it on if you're driving of course but it just it helps you to focus your mind about a goal or a target if you're trying to achieve something it helps you to focus your mind so um that's in the back of that book although it's a very short book to read the cd's worth having but i so i would probably recommend the other one world-class thinking all of our thinking has an impact on how we behave so if we can change the way we think and feel our behavior will change you cannot just change somebody's behavior like that so the book really looks at all the aspects of trying to unpick you know how we think and feel and how that might change our behavior so it's a so it's, it's a longer read and that sums up mental toughness isn't it is is about that looks that's where it's different as an assessment tool for all the other ones like myers-briggs or disc because they look at behaviors this looks at how we think and as you said how we think then influences our behavior so yeah that's why i love it i'm not a big fan of psychometric testing i have to say but the the mental toughness one is it feels so different it doesn't feel you know I don't care if I'm red or blue it means nothing to me I can't do anything with that you know if you tell me I'm dogmatic well yeah whatever but the the wonderful thing about this assessment is it gives you a starting point to move somewhere um it's I think it's a very different type of assessment and I'm, I'm a big big fan and of course as we know you can start to move somewhere like you said but then we can measure that progress can't we down the line so we've got that distance traveled it's quite nice to have you, know, you can put a number on it and if you start it as a seven and finish as an eight or a nine, you know, you know, you've made some progress. It's, it's just nice. It's, it's beautifully put together. This ridiculously complex algorithm behind it is so clever. I just, um, just by the way, I've just assessed a hostage negotiator. Oh. I've never read a report like it. It's, it's spat out stuff I've never seen on any other report. It was phenomenal. And I ran it through with this guy, this hostage negotiator, Kirk Canal, and he was blown away by it. He couldn't believe, and this is a guy who obviously copes with extreme stress and pressure. He knows there's nothing he doesn't know about it. He said, this would be such a brilliant tool in our selection process for people when we're training hostage negotiators. So that was a really interesting insight, actually. So Penny, I know you do lots of work with organisations, you do keynote speaking, you do team coaching things. Where can people find you? Easy, just type my name into Google and you'll find my web, you'll find all sorts of horrible stuff as well, probably. But you'll find my website, which is just pennymallory.co.uk. I'm on LinkedIn, of course, which is lovely to connect with everybody. Um, and I have a pretty rubbish Instagram account, which is um, a very poorly kept by me because i'm not very good at social media so my website if you want to reach me um all the contacts are on there and you've got a webinar coming up haven't you with doug from aqr yeah we've done a couple already it's great because doug you get a bit more into his head and he's got so much good stuff going on in his head so the next one we're about to do is about the role of mental toughness in in leadership which again is you know very I don't I just want to move away from overused expressions but it's really about what we've talked about building the mental toughness of your team and yourself as a leader and developing the right culture for your business which is fundamental to building trust and all that good stuff we we're talking about so we're, we're going to do a bit of a deep dive into all of that which would be really interesting to hear more I love I can't get enough of Doug I just 
want to hear everything he's got to say. So I'm hoping he will just talk and I can listen on that webinar. But yeah, yeah, he's a good guy. Penny, it's been really enlightening and a fantastic conversation. Thank you very much for giving me your time today. Um, I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm sure people listening will get lots of, of value from that. It's been a pleasure, Anthony. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed that conversation with Penny and uh, I hope you did too. I just wanted to share some takeaways that I took from uh, from that and to see whether that resonated with whatever you thought. For me, Penny made some really interesting points. One is around that personal development journey and the fact that she saw that as exciting and both lifelong. And I think that's really important to remember that you know, if we are going to make the most out of ourselves, if we are going to keep on this journey of developing our mental fitness, I think we really need to develop and see that as a lifelong journey. We are never the complete article. So that that was the first thing. The second thing was around the importance of self-awareness. And, you know, several of our other guests have talked about that as well. And certainly when it comes to mental toughness, you know, being aware of your self, your personality, your levels of mental toughness, how you come across to other people is absolutely key. So often we see people who have got high levels of mental toughness without that self-awareness and it really holds them back. So I thought that was a second point. And then thirdly, around for managers really, just realising how important it is for you to know the profile of your teams and certainly mental toughness provides a, a superb tool to be able to do that. And the fact that, you know, balanced teams need a balanced spread of mental toughness right the way across the team profile. So to be able to do that. And lastly, the importance of trust. You know, she talked about the trust between her and a co-driver and how when that wasn't there or if that wasn't there, that there's just no way they could perform. And I think a lot of teams perhaps lack that trust, that psychological safety um, that are going to make the difference between being high performing or just kind of average so some really key takeaways from that conversation with penny i hope you really enjoyed it and i'll see you again next week thanks for listening to today's episode and if you haven't already please subscribe it only takes a moment but it makes a massive difference to the visibility of the show and how many people we can reach you know our mission is to help people develop the mental fitness so that they can achieve more than they thought themselves capable of. So it'd be great if you could do that. A big thanks to Charlotte Foster Podcast for her hard work on producing the show. You can connect with her on LinkedIn. And the music for show is Where to Run by Strength to Last, created by the musical talents of Adrian Walther, a Canadian living in Nashville. Check out his music on Spotify and YouTube Music. <laughs>